Hoping to avoid any technical difficulties this week, welcome to Hand of Pods. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 249 of the Internet's Finest Argentine Football Podcast. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined this week by Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? Very well, Andres, how are you? Fine, thanks. Glad to hear it. Um, Andres is joining us just for a change, obviously, and uh, hopefully we will have a less uh, obstructed recording session than we did last week when... At one point we ran out of battery and then at another point later on the um, the memory card cut out because uh, it filled up because I forgot to delete the previous week's podcast, or two weeks previously, um, from it. Uh, I have now sorted all of that. We have fresh batteries and we have, what does it say there, two hours and 48 minutes of recording time on the microphone. So if we do manage to fill it up, we're probably not going to have any listeners ever again, um, so we have to try and be succinct this week. We're going to talk about uh, the round of Primera División matches that took place last weekend. We're going to talk about a couple of Copa Libertadores matches as well. Uh, we're going to talk about a round of Primera División matches that's going to take place this coming weekend because of the uh, delay, of course, uh, in, in restarting the season over the summer. Um, the AFA are now obliged to just play every weekend and there are probably going to be a couple of midweek rounds at some point as well to catch things up and of course we will look into Argentina against Chile and Bolivia in the upcoming World Cup qualifiers the first of which is tomorrow night Thursday evening let me add something to the thing that you said which Please is so. correct about the obliged round that uh, football Argentine, Argentine football must play this this weekend because it's not obliged. It's uh, the clubs had the option to play or not to play, and as far as we are concerned, because we have just read that, Independiente won't be won't be playing against Defensa y Justicia. Mm. So it's like obliged, not so obliged, but uh, that is a, something particular of the new AFA that is uh, 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 since next Wednesday as. Yes, next Wednesday there will have a new president, uh, Ricardo Chiquita, Claudio Chiquitapia. So it's something new because this is new to have a, a, a round, but that the teams are have the option not to play it. It's something new. It's something that was rumored um, a week or two ago, but we were expecting as a result of it to have basically only about half of the matches being played. Uh, so to see all of them but one being played is something of a shock. Um, the official reason that Independiente appear to have given for asking for their game this weekend to be uh, postponed, uh, their way to defence was Decia, by the way, um, is that their goalkeeper, um, whose first name I've forgotten... Martin. Martin Campagna, that sounds yes. familiar, yeah, has been called up by his country. His country are Uruguay, right? Yes. Yeah, is Uruguay, I should say. One country. Only the one of them. Um, and uh, that's a very, very incredibly... 
uninformative um, article, even by online standards. Um, this one here. But, yes, uh, asking Gonzalo, people to give their opinion. On indeed. Uh, yes. Gonzalo Reac, who is um, Independiente's second choice goalkeeper, says um, he has told Ole that uh, he thinks that, uh, basically, he suspects that Independiente manager um, Ariel Olan, it is Ariel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Olan yeah. um, has sort of is using the rules to his advantage by asking for it so that he can have a bit more training time with the squad, basically. He doesn't think that it's just down to losing out Campania. Of course, he would say that because he doesn't want his own ego bruising. He wants mm-hmm. to believe that he's good enough for, for Independiente to play with him in goal instead. But anyway, so that's the reason that that match won't be taking place this weekend. And now let's go through the results from last weekend, uh, which I've not got on the screen because I just flipped through to see who was playing this coming weekend. Here we go. Last weekend, uh, the following things happened. On Friday night, uh, Rosario Central got a 1-0 away win over Quilmes, an 89th minute goal from Walter, Walter Camacho, Washington Camacho. On Saturday, the Santa Fe Clásico ended Union 0, Colón 2. Um, Newell's Old Boys bounced back from defeat the previous weekend to beat Vélez Sarsfield 3-0 with an Ignacio Ecoco hat-trick and a very impressive performance too. Uh, Tigre lost 1-0 at home to Gimnasia La Plata, another late goal there. Brian Aleman scored it in the 88th minute. Independiente and San Martín de San Juan produced a 0-0 draw, which I have to say was quite a lot more interesting than the scoreline suggests, especially from Independiente's point of view, um, in Avellaneda. Huracan beat Defensa Justicia 2-0 in the evening or at night. Um, on Sunday, Belgrano de Córdoba got a 2-0 win over Racing in, Cord- in Instituto de Córdoba Stadium because the municipal stadium in Córdoba, the Mario Kempes, is still unplayable at the moment. Um, and, of course, Belgrano's own stadium isn't, um, isn't OK to, to play professional football in. It, it's, it's not... Uh, uh, what's the word? The word in Spanish is, is a close friend of habilitated, but that's, I know that's not the word in English. Anyways, it's not been given the okay. Um, Sarmiento beat Tempele 2-1 in Junín. Godoy Cruz beat San Lorenzo 2-0 in uh, Mendoza with a slightly controversial late penalty, but I think overall the scoreline was about right for that one, really. Estudiantes beat Patronato 1-0 in La Plata. Olimpo beat Banfield 1-0 in Bahia Blanca. And Boca Juniors suffered their first home defeat in the league in over a year, 2-1. Um, and indeed, their first defeat this season home or away since the opening weekend of the season away to Lanús. Um, they lost 2-1 at home to Tacheres de Córdoba in a fantastic match. Um, even if I say so as a, as a river sympathiser, it, it was very entertaining. Um, on Monday, Arsenal de Sarandí... Uh, lost at home to Atletico de Rafaela 2-1 and Atletico Tucumán and Aldo Civi drew 0-0 in Tucumán and then to end the weekend in inverted commas um, last night on Tuesday down in Lanús Lanús won River Plate 3 in another very entertaining match which was much more even than that scoreline suggests I think we can both agree Um, the main talking points from the weekend first of all Rather than go through the big five, I'd, I'd like to sort of start uh, with the Santa Fe Clásico because it was Colón's first away win over Union in something like twelve something yes. years or twelve attempts or something like that, um, and also the first time that Colón had beaten Union either home or away in like eight matches or something like that. So um, Union's bragging rights in Santa Fe. 
Yes, and that Under. proves something which we, it's obvious perhaps, but uh, it still surprises me, which is a team like Union that makes a very, very good match or decent match against a, a, a big club like River, and the following week they can't stand and, and, and fall against their arch rival, uh, which is of course more uh, a, a match perhaps more, not I, I don't say more important, but uh, it's vital for them because all, all of their, well, the cities, Santa Fe cities, is all uh, pending on that match and they lose it. Uh, so it's something that uh, happens often, very often, but uh, it still surprises me. Uh, a team that it puts all their energy to try and, and not to lose against a, 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 a team like River because all of the all of the players are, are being perhaps observed or watched. And then the the real real important match that they have against their rivals all of, of a lifetime, like Cologne, they, they lose it. So it's something to perhaps repeat because it's it happens, uh, as I said, uh, uh, very, very often. Mm. Indeed. Um, and it was a deserved win as well for Colin. I thought they were... The, the first half was, yeah. was awful. I mean, borderline unwatchable from both teams. The second half picked up quite a lot. Uh, this, if I remember rightly, this was the game where there were two sendings off on each side, weren't there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Ignacio... Tell me it's Ignacio. Ivan Torres... Uh, got sent off an hour in for Colón um, very shortly after they had taken the lead through Guillermo Ortiz. Uh, a few minutes after him, Manuel de Iriondo was sent off for Union to make it ten aside. And then in the 88-89th minute, uh, there was one man sent off each. Um, Silva, whose first name I can't remember, for Colón. And Algocino, whose first name I don't even know. Um, and he's not listed here because he was a substitute. Uh, for Union for basically for kicking each other wasn't it or pushing each other or something um, in the same incident very very shortly before half uh, before full time and only a few minutes after Colón's second goal so Colón goals swiftly followed in both cases by a red card each side were really what defined um, that classical and although we didn't give it anything of a preview last week um, it did turn out to be as we said a, a pretty entertaining game or at least a pretty entertaining second half after a very dull first staying in Santa Fe province but moving across to the city of Rosario uh, Newell's old boys got a 3-0 win as we mentioned over Belles Sarsfield Ignacio Ecoco's first goal was professionally taken reminded more than a few people of Claudio Canizia in the 1990 World yes. Cup um, his second goal was I can't remember his second goal actually uh it was, uh, I think, a, a ball lost by by Bales, uh, in midfield, and then Skoko uh, came from I think, middle of the box and put it crossing. Oh, that was right. Yeah, yeah. It was a sort of fairly run of the mill one, and his third one was an absolute blooper, as the scientific term uh, is, from about twenty five thirty yards out, hammered it into the far corner early in the second half um, to make it three nil. Apparently his first ever hat-trick for Newell's, which surprised me because I could have sworn he, he scored at least yes. one for them oh. uh, back in the championship winning season. But the statisticians after the game said that that was the first hat-trick that he scored for them. Um, so he took the plaudits, but I also wanted to um, heap some praise on Facundo Quignon, the very young, deep-lying midfield playmaker um, who started out at River, apparently. I was unaware of that until I was reading a... a 
profile of him on Monday. Um, Started out in, in River's youth teams and then went to San Lorenzo, of course, fairly recently, um, and uh, found himself used very frequently as, as a sort of squad rotation player and as a substitute, but largely had his first team appearances restricted by the fact that he was behind sort of Juan Mercier and Nestor Ortigosa, two of the, the great midfielders in Argentina over the last decade. Um, he won the, and he's now really coming into his own. Yes, he won the Copa Libertadores and the 20 Copa Libertadores mm. won by River. He was at that team. Then he couldn't... Uh, I, I don't remember whether he even... Uh, made his debut at the River first team. I, th- I don't think so. Don't think so, no. Then he went to San Lorenzo where he showed some some things of his quality, but he, he couldn't uh, uh, also be uh, have some regularity in the first team. And then went, uh, he went to news where he neither had the, has the opportunity to show himself all the time he could, but when he he's at the field, he shows delicious things like uh, the assistance to, to Skoko yeah, for, for Skoko's first goal um, he, he plays as a, as I say, a deep line player so in, in Newell's at the moment using a sort of a 4-2-3-1 and he's one of the two um, but he bursts forward a hell of a lot um, and I think I, I don't know whether he started out as a number 10 or oh no apparently he started out as a number 5 so as a more deep line player um, but I mean I, I think he, he's already contributed in impressive um, performances and I think he's already got sort of six or seven assists this season um, some of them with very similar um, kind of bursts forward from midfield and then Riquelme like passes as one correspondent for La Nacion put it earlier in the week um, and I think that he could very well be one to watch so a relatively late bloomer as I say because he's already 23 turning 24 in May um, but we've not mentioned him before and after that performance Wanted to give him a pat on the back because Ekoko's three goals obviously speak for themselves. I mean, he took all the headlines, uh, but Quignon probably deserves some as well. For Vélez, it was very much a return to what we were expecting of them the previous week when they surprisingly beat Estudiantes. Um, they're rubbish again. Yeah, and this proves also the well, it's not something new, the lack of regularity of that a lot of Argentinian teams have because... Estudiantes losing against Vélez, then defeating Patronato, Patronato defeating Arsenal, perhaps next week they lose. Mm. Vélez defeating Estudiantes, now losing against Newells, who were also rubbish. Uh, but, well, Skoko uh, has... Rubbish the previous week, you mean, not in... Yes. In this, yeah. uh, Skoko coming back to what he used to be some time ago, I, I thought he had already scored three goals mm. in a single match, because I remember two or three years ago where he... I think when he came back to news, he was awesome, and, and well, then he lost, lost, he was injured, he lost some track, but I thought he had already. Uh, but, say, I, it surprised me as yes. well, um, so I'm, I'm actually going to Google, keep talking. But yes, his, his goal power uh, was, I think, responsible for news to be defeated in with that difference to Vélez, because even when, with Vélez being awful, and news... Uh, well, uh, being very, very uh, superior, uh, playing much better than than, than Vélez, uh, he was mainly responsible with Guignon, with well, uh, other players that uh, also played played really well. But his his power uh, scoring uh, made made Benyus be, be be comfortable with the with the result mostly. Mm. I've just googled Ignacio Coco triplete. 
which is the Spanish for hat trick. Um, yes. And he's he scored one in Mexico for Pumas, apparently. Um, which interests me because I didn't realise he played for Pumas. Um, but all of the other results regarding Newells are about this one just this weekend. So it looks like we're imagining it. He, he certainly had a few matches where he scored a couple of times and maybe set one up, but that must be the closest he got previously. That win meant that obviously pending the other results at the weekend, um, Newell's, because it was only the third game of the weekend, uh, Newell's went temporarily back into second place ahead of San Lorenzo on goal difference. You'll remember that the previous week San Lorenzo won, Newell's lost and therefore a three-point gap opened up between those two teams. And of course, uh, Boca Juniors also won the previous weekend, so there was a six-point gap for Newell's and a three-point gap between Boca and San Lorenzo. Um, the other results later in the weekend, of course, we've already told you about them, so let's move on to those other two title challenges. Uh, San Lorenzo were outplayed by Godoy Cruz, um, I think by and large, really. The, it finished 2-0. Both of the goals came from Paul Fernandez or Guillermo Fernandez, um, the former Boca midfielder. Uh, the second one from a penalty that I don't think was a penalty, really. No. But at the same time, I did think that two nil was the correct score on the balance of play. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that doesn't modify the the overall uh, performance, and, and the no. result was was fair. But yes. it was it was strangely flat from Niels. I mean, they have uh, f- sorry from San Lorenzo. Uh, they weren't they weren't at full strength, but even so, I mean, a midfield with. With Franco Musi and Fernando Bellucci and Ezequiel Ceruti on the wings, Nestor Ortigosa in the middle. It's not weak, that. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, well, perhaps he wasn't in the starting lineup every match, but they are suffering the absence of Martin Cauterucho, I think. He, mm. he the, the times he entered into the matches, he scored, or at least not all the time, but a lot of matches in which he entered when he was in the substitute bench and, 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 and scored. And now Diego Aguirre, the, the coach of San Lorenzo, is uh, introducing Bautista Marlini, a young... Yeah, he looks very sharp. Yes, he's, he's good, but, but a kid, and, and it's like he wasn't prepared to get that respons- responsibility. Yeah. And uh, I think that, and, and Marucci has... Uh, his level is... Uh, Quite poor in, in comparison to the the, the the level he showed last year. So I think that those are keys uh, things in which I, I I find like the reason why Sonenso uh, is like lost in the in the in the matches. And Matias Lamens for first time said that Diego Aguirre will uh, be at until the end of his contract, which is not necessarily necessarily like that. Matias Lamens being the president, president of San yes. Lorenzo and Diego Aguirre being the manager. Coach, yes. Um, yeah, and it, it's kind of an interesting one because looking at the league table, you would have expected San Lorenzo to get the result. Obviously, these two teams were in the same group of last year's transitional championship um, and San Lorenzo ended up beat, winning the uh, the group final or the championship semi-final fairly handily. Um, but Godoy Cruz are, are sort of mid-table this time round. But they've not really done anything by halves. I've just brought up their, their previous fixtures so that we can have a look at them. They've drawn two games all season. They would be much higher if they could convert some of those defeats into draws or, or wins, obviously. Um, and their, their record, other than those two draws, um, following this win over San Lorenzo, means they've won seven and lost seven. Uh, so they managed to draw against Boca. They've just beaten San Lorenzo in impressive circumstances. They, they've sort of cleaned up against a bunch of the other teams so you'd kind of expect them to clean up against 
but then they've also lost to to Tempele, who are going to avoid relegation quite easily, you would think, but um, all that. They lost in the last game of last year to Gimnasia, who are not having a bad season, yeah, it must be admitted, but then they also lost to Quilmes, um, to Olimpo, Independiente, right at the start of the season when Independiente looked like they weren't quite sure what to do. Um, and so it's, it's a bit weird to sort of to work out what Godoy Cruz um, are about, especially this early in the year. Although we're now in late March, but you know this early in the footballing year, let's say. Um, and we're going to find out fairly shortly, I think, because their next matches are away to Racing, and then at home to River, and then away to Colón, um, which is, and, and then they've got a home game against Banfield. So I mean, and then away to Tacheres. Yeah, they've, they've got a succession really of, of these first two particularly are stand out as being big name. Um, Opponents and, and ones that they'll do well to get results against, um, but even after that, they, they have a sort of a bit of a tail after that of, of also fairly tricky games. So it's going to be interesting to see how they step up. Yes, yeah, which is the real Godoy Cruz, exactly. the one that uh, during some part of the last uh, season, with especially when when Sebastián Méndez uh, was in charge of the of the of the bench. Uh, was like they they looked really really playing really well and now they are somehow well decreased in their in their performance. Yeah. But San Lorenzo is like that. Uh, another team that is like uh, uh, going up and down and perhaps uh, we are uh, getting the Copa Libertadores matches into the, the 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 first division tournament because they have lost. Yeah. Both matches in the in the Copa Libertadores and now they lost this one in the in the tournament. So it sounds like San Lorenzo has go, ha, has been going down. Yeah. Uh, in, in, the, in the league, it was yes. actually their first defeat in five games. They were four unbeaten with, with three wins and a draw prior to that. But of course, two of those wins and the draw were the last three games of last year, and it's such a long time ago now that even though they won the first game this year against Belgrano uh, just a week and a half ago as you say with the Libertadores uh, results as well and also not only that but also the way that they were outplayed by Flamengo in that Libertadores opener uh, in the Maracanã where they lost 4-0 um, you do sort of look at it and think that they need to get their ideas together it, it's as if the, the season has started admittedly with, with this uh, um, three fairly tricky opponents in a row I mean I think we would all have expected them to beat Belgrano at home, given the season that Belgrano were having up until this weekend, just gone. Um, but, you know, Flamengo, followed by Godoy Cruz away, followed by um, Aletko Paranaense, another Brazilian um, side, who listeners will remember, of course, um, scored very early on while we were recording through Lucho Gonzalez and then held on for that 1-0 win last week. Um, it's it's not great. San Lorenzo's next games are at home to Quilmes, away to Tigre, away to Sorry, at home to Sarmiento, so Atletico Tucumán then is 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 uh, tricky, um, especially in Tucumán. But those next three league games, I think, and, and with no Libertadores matches in that time, because the Libertadores takes a, about a month off now, um, give them a bit of a chance to work up some momentum, and I think they need it uh, if they're not going to, to see this title challenge. You know, if if they're going to. But they they played this weekend. Yes. Well, perhaps that is something that Alonso could have done imitating Independiente and trying not to play and, and have a good rest and, and, and train and they will presumably yes. be without Ortigosa because uh, he's off on Paraguay duty yes 
Um, and then one or two others we'll have a look through exactly who's missing who. Um, Paulo Dias or Chileno? His Maybe. Not... We'll, we'll, we'll have a proper look through a little later. Um, so that was San Lorenzo, and then the, of course the league leaders, Boca Juniors, as we mentioned, also lost. So the big winners this, this week, we mentioned last week's episode, mm-hmm. the big winners were Boca Juniors, because Newell's and San Lorenzo both lost, Boca won to open that gap up. Sorry, no, San Lorenzo won, Newell's lost, Boca won to open to keep the three-point gap over San Lorenzo and open up a six-point gap over Newell's. And now the reverse has happened. Newell's have won, San Lorenzo lost, and Boca have lost. So we're right back to where we were a week and a half ago. Um, the match in La Bomonera was, was an entertaining one. Tacheres um, did very well, particularly in the first 15 minutes, really took the game to Boca uh, in a way that it would be nice to see teams do more often, not just uh, when they're playing Boca away, but also you know away to, to River. Um, you know, a lot of away sides, especially from the interior of the country, uh, tend to come to the Monumental or, or, or La Bombonera mm-hmm. and, and be a little overawed by it. Um, since Cacheres weren't. Yeah, since Independiente del Valle victory at La Bombonera, yeah. which I don't remember whether it was the last defeat by Boca at that uh, Bombonera, but since that match that I don't, I, I didn't watch a team play like Tacheres with that guts with that courage uh, not being afraid of, of playing and in, in during some times of the match uh, quitting the, the, the ball to Boca and and, and managing the ball themselves mm. so it was uh, surprising uh, and as as I said last uh, during last episode it was strange because Tacheres uh, because of the, his or the Mario, Mario Alberto Kempes Stadium awful pitch conditions they didn't play against uh, against Independiente so they were we, we could have uh, watched the match with uh, not no rhythm with uh, physical not very good physical form but it was the other way around indeed as I said um, that match against Independiente de Russia was in July last year yes um, it was Boca's first home defeat in the league uh, since a 1-0 loss to Atletico Tucumán on the 14th of February 2016. Yes. Um, so, very well done to them. Uh, well, very well done to Boca for that impressive uh, home unbeaten run, but particularly well done, of course, to Tacheres. Um, it reminded me a lot of a chess game, uh, partly because I, I've developed an addiction to chess over the last 13 months or so, um, and, uh, and, and partly because, you know, it, it's often... Uh, a cliche that gets used in English writing about football is that when you have a really dull, very tactical game, it's like a chess match, as if it's you know disparaging. This one reminded me of, of, of a chess game as somebody who actually does play chess and doesn't find it boring, because it highlights one of the things that I sort of this time last year when I was a true beginner. And if you're listening and you play chess yourself, feel free to challenge me to a game, but don't expect much. I'm, I'm not particularly good now either. But when I was really just learning, and you start to read a bit, and, and one of the cliches of it is. If you try and attack down the side of the board without first having control of the middle, then you're going to fail. Um, and that really was, was what Boca made me think of uh, during the game. They, they look very dangerous down the flanks, um, particularly down the left-hand side where Oscar Benitez um, and Frank Fabro were combining very well. But there was no real, there was nothing going on in the middle. They couldn't seem to keep the ball for any length of time. Um, Fernando Gago has had some impressive performances this season, but Sunday was not one of them. And Rodrigo Bentancur um, largely went missing, and, and the two of them really got, got overwhelmed by 
partly by Leonardo, Leonardo Hill, um, but particularly by Pablo Guignasul. Yes. The 30... Some 35? 30. I think he's 38. I, I, 38. I saw somebody say the mm-hmm. other day. Um, And he ran the yes. midfield. It was astonishing. He is, yeah, he's thirty-eight years old. Um, yes, he was the owner of the of the team, and, and yes, uh, he he Gago and, and Betancourt couldn't uh, uh, do, do well. Couldn't do anything against his uh, perhaps experience because he's uh, perhaps thirty-eight years old. To give you more experience than physical, of course. Mm. Um, so that was the the title. Uh, challenges main th- those were the title challenges main results sorry um, Belgrano versus Racing is a match that I have not seen any of at all not even the goals I mean, you didn't watch it either that's a shame right. um, so uh, unfortunately Racing fans we, we can't go into depth about your problems this week uh, join us again soon because no doubt we'll have another opportunity before long it being Racing ho 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 um, which meant that on Tuesday night let's now skip ahead a little bit and complete the big five roundup. um River Plate needed to win in order to keep up the pride of the Big Five, who, as we know, are this tremendously unified group who always like to support each other. Um, if River hadn't beaten Lanús, then we would have just had a weekend without a single Big Five victory, which doesn't happen very often in Argentina. As it was, River did beat Lanús. They needed a little bit of luck to do so. Um, Lanús took the lead 34 minutes in and had it still at half-time, but River equalised very early in the second half through an Ariel Rojas goal, his first goal back for River in... This was his first appearance since re-signing for them, wasn't it? Or did he play the previous uh, No, he played against Independiente Medellín for a couple of times. Ah, the Libertadores. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, not for the tournament, of course. Mm. Yes. Um, so he, uh, he scored and it was about a metre offside. Shouldn't really have stood. But River, having had that stroke of luck, um, which kind of, in a way, similarly to... Um, the penalty for Godoy Cruz for their second goal wasn't the right decision but the scoreline was sort of difficult to argue with and I thought at that stage in the game a draw was fair Um, and I thought actually by the end of the game a draw was probably fair as well but as it happened uh, River had other ideas Gonzalo Martinez who was superb throughout um, scored a second goal via a very heavily deflected free kick with 12 minutes to go and then Carlos Auski River's um, summer signing from Estudiantes uh, tucked one in from a Lucas Alario assist in stoppage time to put some gloss on the scoreline, which, as I hinted um, at the beginning of the show, was perhaps a little bit generous to River. Um, the, the general consensus was that it was a very even match, that River were maybe slightly better um, and, and might have deserved the win, but I think 3-1 was probably a bit too much of a difference, really. Yeah, both teams that I think that they look similar. They are quite similar in terms of play. And I'm sorry, we completely forgot. I'm going to go back to the Boca game for a second because thinking about the uh, the incorrect officiating decisions, which somehow lead to correct results anyway, um, yeah, was reminds me of, of the real yes. reason I was thinking of this, which was the Boca, uh, while the score was still 1-1 against Tacheres, should have had a penalty um, for a very, very obvious handball, um, which the referee admitted on Monday he had not seen he said if I'd been standing a few metres to, to the left of where I was standing it would have been really obvious and I'd have given it but I just didn't see it I'm really sorry um, 
but it was it was very interesting because it was a decision that you know normally if you've got something that's even a little bit like it, well, maybe that could possibly be a penalty, and it's Boca at La Bombonera or obviously you know River at the Monumental or whatever, um, then the decision will be given. And so this was, I mean, clearly the referee hadn't seen it at all because you, how can you not give yes. a penalty that obvious to Boca? Yes, and the obvious thing is the other way. The yeah. other way is even when not not watching it or not seeing that the ball the hand there was a handball to to award the penalty and in, in this case it was the other way mm. and it's good for a sometimes some people say that it's good for a young young referee like Ariel Penel uh, not to give a penalty just because it's Boca and La Bombonera of course in this case he was wrong because yeah uh, there was a penalty but uh, he wasn't influenced by people by the crowd and that in that part he it was good for him not to award the penalty if, if he didn't consider it as a penalty indeed it's just a bit of a shame that it was an entirely wrong decision um, I've just had a very quick Google to see whether he's going to get in any trouble for it and as of the moment um, there are no, there's nothing on sort of Google news uh, ah yes there is sorry he's, he's not going to be refereeing this coming weekend um, yes and, and whether he, that's connected or whether it's just coincidence. Yeah, this is a signal for future referees that are going to be the, at, at that stadium because we must say that uh, the the brand new president that is uh, uh, taking the charge since next Wednesday. Well, it isn't. It isn't because it wasn't a debatable decision. I mean, it, it should have yes, been a know, penalty. So saying, oh well, but it's good for the referees to know that Chiquitapia, mm. Claudio Chiquitapia, and Angelisi. Mm, yes, they are both well. Angelisi is the president of Boca, and Claudio Tapia is a Boca supporter. They, this doesn't I, mean I, that I will allow you to say this, Andres. But I want to make very clear, in case any of Boca Juniors um, or the AFA's lawyers are listening to this, that the Hand of Pod editorial line is very much that we want to wait for evidence of uh, corruption yes. by the AFA forcing referees. To well, you have the Boca evidence by before when Angelisi assumed that he he called. Luis Segura and Mitchans, the uh, Escribano, I don't know how to say it in English. Uh, uh, oh, yes, I've forgotten the word. Um, legal official well, of some sort, yeah. Uh, trying the Delfino, the referee of uh, the match against Vélez that let them play the Copa Libertadores 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, talk with this guy, Delfino, not to take things wrong and to make the, the big, the right decisions and he assumed that he he assumed he is uh, corrupt, but well, of course it's it happens to all the team. No, not only Boca, it's not uh, Boca uh, all the time is benefit because River Boca and mostly the, the big fives are are, are uh, benefit by the decisions of the referees. It's also something that whoever the president happens to be, they're, they're always going to be open to these kind of accusations when they have a, an AFA president and other officials who are linked still with the clubs. Um, but yeah, anyway, that that was something that I just suddenly remembered whilst talking that I'd completely forgotten to mention. Um, and as I said, the so the, the Ariel Rojas um, equaliser for River was was a fortunate one, um, in as much as it shouldn't have stood and was allowed to. Um, thereafter, River sort of managed the second half pretty well, um, and so, as I said, I, I think the draw would have been fair on the balance of play. Um, yes. But River, as they did last Thursday away to Deem Independiente Medellin, um, showed very good character to to come through and, and get those goals. 
and it's kind of encouraging for them as well that that's two games in a row with the, the win over Independiente Medellin in the Libertadores and now this win over Lanús in which they've scored three goals away from home because over the summer in the friendlies and also against Union in the first um, league match of, of this year uh, they had a bit of problem in front of goal it was as if they had a bit of a mental block when it came to finishing sometimes yes yeah, sometimes they played to score and weren't able to score in this case yes it wasn't that they, they deserved the win and finally they got the goals with some luck like you said uh, but what is was good and you, I think you mentioned him uh, some minutes ago that the Ariel Rojas resigning was just what River needed mm. to play better in terms of not only that uh, that that you watch that they are playing better but they are like better with uh, Nacho, uh, Nacho Fernandez yeah. also he made Nacho Fernandez play better also and be more free to play because it's like a double five well Poncio played also but it's like a double five Rojas more like uh, uh, minded player like uh, more like ser- uh, with with a more thinking play, player yeah. and Nacho Fernandez more creative so it's I think they are making a very good uh, for sure and also uh, Gonzalo Martinez was really good again the best um, the best match he played having, since his having his frankly not been all that great at all a bit selfish like him. he's always but yeah. with better decisions um, he, he seems to be improving at last and sort of maybe without sounding patronising yes. growing into the club a little bit or, or into the shirt at least um, and sort of yeah I mean you, you still wouldn't put him in the sort of yes. top positions of, of River Plate number 10s in the 21st century never mind yes. the 20th century and um, let me say something getting better let me say something which is something like a supporter uh, a River Plate supporter will say this and I am also a River supporter but here I must I t- try to take my t-shirt off mm-hmm. but in this case I think that I am happy because Pepe Sand when he scored, he always does this all the time because he's more a Lanús supporter than River, even when he started playing at River. Mm-hmm. Uh, he celebrates the goals against River like he was a, a Lanús young divisions player. And when he played for River, he bought horses. He owns horses because of the wages he was paid at River. So now he says that oh, I don't feel anything, anything for River. He should feel anything for River. But it's okay. A lot of players. I, I don't mind players celebrating against their old clubs. Um, but in this, case, yeah, there are cases, special cases, in which you you are. Uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I don't have a problem with players deciding not to celebrate against their old clubs either. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I find it interesting that he celebrates against River seemingly more than he does against other clubs. That does seem a bit bizarre. Um, but. Yeah, no, I don't mind it too much. Um, elsewhere over the weekend, anyway, in some of the other games, uh, Kilmes against Central, I did not catch on Friday night, did you? Kilmes against Central, no. I, I only watched the goal, late goal against, by, by Washington Camacho, the Uruguayan. Mm-hmm. But as I said the other day, I think that if Camacho scores, uh, that, that talks a lot about your moment because he was like, a, he, he asked. To stay at Racing, and finally he had to go because he didn't play uh, very well. And, and at Racing, I think he wasn't also showing very much. And well, here he scored a header at the 89th minute. Yeah. Um, Urakan got a 2 0 win over Defensa Justicia, which was a pretty weird match in a way. Um, Urakan 
scored a couple of goals about five minutes apart from almost their only two attacks of the first half, really. I was watching uh, Independiente against San Martín at... Oh, no, I wasn't. On. Yes, I was, sorry. I was watching the, the second half of that match during the first half of the Huracan match, so I was only able to pay full attention to it after half-time, um, by which point Defensa Justicia spent pretty much the entire second half completely on top. Um, they've got a new manager, of course, because Ariel Olan has gone to Independiente. Um, so they're now managed by Sebastián Becasici. Former San, pa- San Paolo? No, who was the assistant of of uh, another Argentinian coach? Oh, was it? Well, who I don't remember right now, but yes, he was. He was, I think, the assistant of San Paolo, could be, yes. And I would say, on the evidence that we've seen so far, um, that he appears to be, you know, you, you can see why they've chosen him to replace Holland. The, the football is similarly yes. positive and, and trying to uh, trying to, to be direct without being too direct. Um, possession of the ball and, and, and get things forward very quickly. Um, it says that he was assistant to Claudio Bibas. Um, Presentor. Oh, no, yeah, you're yes. right. So, San Paoli, sorry. Uh, Claudio Bibas introduced him to San Paoli. Yes. Um, so, yeah, well done. Um, yeah, the intention is clear to play the way, the same way, uh, like Holland style, so it's there's mm. something coherent. Then they, they must show him, uh, he must show the, that he has, well, then the, the same uh, intensity and, same, and, and the results, which now are not. Uh, well, uh, with Holland, the, the, what what the, it was said that he played that uh, defensive justicia played well but couldn't get the results. So yeah. well, we must see right now what happens. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it was, it was their first defeat after a run of four straight wins. Obviously, three of those were at the tail end of last year. Um, so we, we'll go over the relegation table shortly and tell you whether or not they're in there. But uh, for the moment, it looks as if De Ijota, D and J. Defensa Justicia um, are, are in, should be in good hands but they will need to finish quite a lot better than they did against Huracan on um, Saturday and moving on from Becasese to the man that he replaced uh, Ariel Olan who is now at Independiente as I said Independiente last year had a habit of being spectacularly boring to watch under Gabriel Minito um, they were a lot better than that on Saturday Saturday? yeah Saturday uh, against San Martín de San Juan. It was really uh, an entertaining match, and most of that entertainment came from Independiente. They hit the post, they hit the crossbar in the last five minutes, both of them. Um, it was tremendous stuff, and yet somehow the result was uh, a very familiar one to anybody who was watching Militos Independiente um, last year. It was nil-nil. What happened? Yes, especially the second half was very entertaining uh, in part for, for for Independiente and well the, the way Independiente played with the yes hit the post by uh, their new striker Emmanuel Gilotti former Boca yeah. former Boca all boys uh, General La Madrid Atlético Tucumán uh, San Lorenzo well a lot of teams and Shang Chong Li Fan well I don't remember exactly the name of the Chinese team Shang Gong Li Fan no, something like mind. that yeah. well uh, and that play in which he let it hit the post the, it was perhaps the only good movement by Walter Arbiti, another signing mm. by Independiente, which was 
he uh, made a delicious back heel uh, just for Hiloti to to shoot and hit the post. Well, then Benitez hit the post and in the last very last play From of the match, way out. Benitez as well. That was Martin about Benitez. 25 yards, wasn't it? No, it was in, inside the box, I think. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking I'm getting confused with um, Gonzalo Martinez, who hit the crossbar from ah, 30 yards yeah. for River, yeah. Sorry, uh, carry on. Yes, and, and the very last play of the match, uh, there was a header by uh, Taglafico that Ardente saved it magnificently. Mm. So, yes, if you watch the second half, in the end, they clearly deserved the win. It's a shame, um, from an analysis point of view, that, that Peter's not here, obviously, uh, tamed independiente fan. Um, because I did have a Twitter exchange with him after the game and said if I if I were an independent supporter myself I'd be tearing my hair out after that but um, there should be better to come and it's going to be interesting because do you know who the independent they have next? Who? This coming weekend they're playing Defensa Justicia oh. so that should be a fun match to watch I think predict goals hopefully if both of them can start finishing a bit better um, or no goals at all but lots of entertainment if neither of them can start finishing better um, Leandro de Sabato scored a headed goal for Estudiantes to um, get them a 1-0 win against Patronato de Paraná and in so doing cut short a run of off the top of my head I think it was something like six games that they were without a win wasn't it between the end of last year and the beginning of this one I'm trying to bring up their form guide now um, it was sorry five games without a win uh, four defeats and a draw um, so the very early league leaders you will recall Estudiantes, who only dropped four points between the first and tenth rounds of matches, um, have now finally managed their first win since that tenth round, um, and have a fairly simple next few fixtures. You would expect they've got Atlético de Rafaela, Arsenal de Sarandí, and then Aldo Civi. So, I mean, given if they are back in form, then then you would expect Estudiantes to win at least two, if not all three, of those games. Um, but, but we'll see. anyway, it wasn't a so convincing victory against Patronato. Are, are your home condition? Well, Patronato yeah. is. Uh, it's like a team that you. I don't know how to qualify or how to uh, say if what is Patronato like. If it's a tough, tough rival, if it, they are uh, not so. Well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're mid table. They're similar to Godoy Cruz, really. I mean, in terms of the results, anyway. But you know, we mentioned earlier that Godoy Cruz have only drawn two games. They've won seven and lost seven. Uh, Patronato have drawn three. They've won six and lost seven. So, again, it can go either way. They, yeah. they, what they are is a little bit, I guess, sort of a little bit tighter at the back, but also less freewheeling up front, um, at least on their day, than Godoy Cruz are. Um, but yeah, they're a bit hard to pin down. So, it's. it's one of the several nothing teams, if you like, without meaning any disrespect to them, um, that this 30-team championship throws up. Although, of course, significant, yes, it, significantly better than some of the teams at the bottom of the championship, even so. Um, who include three of the teams who played on Monday night. Did you catch either of these matches? No, I didn't. Good. Nor did I. Um, so we'll very just quickly go over the uh, the fallout basically Arsenal are so rubbish that they even lost at home to Atletico de Rafaela meaning that Arsenal are still bottom of the table and still after 16 matches have not yet managed to get into double figures points wise um, they've only got 8 points still Atletico de Rafaela are up to 17th but that doesn't matter an awful lot if you can't get clear in the relegation table which we will read out to you in a few minutes 
Um, and I was slightly surprised when I got back on Monday night um, and saw that Atletico Tucumán had only managed a nil-nil draw with Aldo Sili, given the form that Atletico Tucumán had been in so far this year. Not, of course, just in the league, but also in the Libertadores. I thought that that should have been a, a clear Atletico Tucumán win. I don't know what happened. Yes. But um, it surprised me. Uh, elsewhere, we've already mentioned the other results. Gimnasia beating Tigre 1-0 away from home is probably the, the other um, the main one that we've not yet mentioned. So, yeah, that happened. And there was another polemic play in that match between Tigre and, and Gimnasia. Another polemic mm. handball, which the player was like, it was, I think, Lucas Lich, the Gimnasia defender. He was like play, uh, watching... To this side, to one of the one side, and, and the ball uh, hit the other the hand that it was in the other side, and and the Tigre players, especially Galmarini, I think he was uh, with the ball, uh, protested to the referee because uh, for him it was penalty, and and in the other play there was that sh- that shoot between uh, uh, by. Uh, Brian Alemande, who is mm. not German, because in Spanish you say yes. Alemán, German, he's from Uruguay, uh, that uh, he scored the goal just in the, the, the immediate, uh, the very following play. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I was not aware of that. They have, uh, whilst Andres was talking, um, uh, the television channel that we currently have on have just replayed the goals from Arsenal against um, Atletico de Rafaela. And I missed the first one, but uh, I will say that whilst Arsenal's goal, which was the third goal of the game in that 2-1 defeat, um, was was a very nice finish from well outside the box uh, into the bottom corner. Um, Atletico de Rafael's second by Leandro Diaz was a result of an absolutely appallingly played offside trap, um, which is precisely the kind of quality that we've come to expect from Arsenal this, this year. Um... It's half time, so we're going to take a break to refill our glasses. Don't go away. Before we started recording uh, this evening, during the afternoon I went over to AFA headquarters, the den of iniquity for many people, a place um, which houses a lot of the people that many football fans in Argentina would like to see not being involved in the game. Um, There are often criticisms of the way that football's run, not just in Argentina, but in other countries around the world. But if there is one uh, thing and about football that we can truly say continues to uphold the Corinthian values with which the game's founders wished it to be played. It's the World Cup. And that, of course, is why the World Cup is being played in Russia in 2018, because it's truly still with the spirit of the game and completely uncorruptible. That was all a joke, in case you were wondering. Um, Before we continue, I should just mention that um, Andres normally has Fernet for the first half of the podcast and then Coke for the second half, and I have just very absentmindedly poured him a Fernet. So if he's talking even more shit than normal by the end, or even more shit than me, uh, it's it's my fault. Um, Anyway, 
the reason that I went to AFA uh, was to pick up my press pass for tomorrow's match, which by the time you hear this will be tonight's match, or possibly even yesterday's match, if you're listening to it particularly late. Um, Argentina versus Chile at the Estadio Monumental right here in Buenos Aires. On Tuesday, they then visit Bolivia in the, um, I always forget the name of the stadium, Hernando Siles in yes. La Paz, the world's highest national team ground. Um, the fact that they are visiting Bolivia on Tuesday really makes the Chile match even more of a must win doesn't it I mean it, there's, there's yes. enough pressure on it as it is but given that they're not going to be going to, to Bolivia and just expecting to win um, it becomes even more important although maybe Agado Bauce is expecting to win in Bolivia because he keeps going on about I don't know how my career is going to go after I've won the World Cup everybody's going to want me um, which seems to me to be tempting fate but Andres how are you feeling about the game? Yes, and independently of the match against Bolivia on Tuesday, tomorrow match, a, a win will mean Argentina uh, will be in the five, fifth position. Uh, of course, uh, being up of, of Chile, which now are, are, are in that position. In no, I'm, I'm going to correct you because I thought that oh. was the case as well, but I was checking the table earlier. And in fact, Argentina are currently fifth, Chile are fourth. Uh, so before oh. we start, it's a good oh, idea sorry. anyway, I think, for me to go over the standings. Um, and refresh all of our minds because it has been four, four and a half months since the last matches, of course. So the current situation oh. in South American World Cup qualifying with a reminder that the top four teams go straight to Russia 2018 and the team in fifth will play off against a team from, I think it's Oceania again, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Um, for a place at the World Cup. Ah, Brazil are top with 27 points, having rediscovered their mojo since... Um, uh, Signing, appointing. Sorry, it could be Oceania or Asia because uh, uh, I remember oh, Uruguay playing Jordania. I should probably look it up. So I? I'll, it I'll, I'll look it up in a minute. Um, Brazil top with 27 yes. points from 12 matches. Uruguay is second with 23 points. And then it starts to get very, very tight indeed. In third place are Ecuador with 20 points and a goal difference of plus six. In fourth place are Chile, also with 20 points and a goal difference of plus four. In 5th place are Argentina with 19 points and a goal difference of 2. In 6th place are Colombia with 18 points and a goal difference of 0. In 7th place, Paraguay have 15 points and a goal difference of minus 6. In 8th place, Peru 14 and a goal difference of minus 2. So although Peru are way down in 8th, they're still only 6 points behind uh, Ecuador in 3rd. Um, I mean, I don't think Peru are going to get there, but it's by no means mathematically impossible with 6 games still to play. Um, and then in ninth and 10th we've got two teams who I think it's fairly safe to say although they're not mathematically out of it yet um, are not going to be playing the World Cup in 2018 and those teams are Bolivia who have 7 points and a goal difference of minus 21 and Venezuela who have 5 points and a goal difference of minus 15 um, but the match that we're focusing on of course as you say Andres is, is Argentina-Chile yes. which an Argentina win would, would see them leapfrogging Chile uh, into fourth place rather than fifth. Um, At least until possibly, yes. possibly also leapfrogging Ecuador, um, and possibly even if they're really lucky. Well, actually, no, they'd have to absolutely thrash Chile to leapfrog Uruguay, wouldn't they? Given the goal difference, um, but you never know. Uh, yes, but, and yeah. here especially media are covering this match like a new classical mm. because of the two matches in which Argentina lost in the finals of the Copa America and Copa America Centenario. And uh, like they like this is like this is a, a third final because it is a final for Argentina, not for Chile. 
But uh, yes, a, a victory will make them be at least until Tuesday in Tuesday in fourth position, not five, not fifth, like I said. And yes, and it's Im important for Argentinian that uh, Vidal is not playing because he's suspended for Chile. Yeah, and medal is there. Is, there is a doubt for medal to be in the starting lineup. Mm -hmm. Finally, Alexis Sanchez will be there. It, he suffered from an. I don't know where uh, uh, it was not injured, but uh, like well, a knock so far suffered a knock in in for Arsenal uh, last weekend. He recovered and he will be playing uh, against Argentina. But Vidal uh, is important too, and Medel if he Medel doesn't play, will be even even something in favor of Argentina, who will be will have Aguero in their starting lineup as. Contrary to the op opinion of people, and perhaps Indeed. it looks like it anyway. Um, Argentina's uh, likely formation at this stage on Wednesday night um, is looking like Sergio Romero in goal. They're going to play. Uh, it's going to be a four-two-three-one, isn't it? So it's going to be um, across the from right to left. Who's going to be the right back? I just realised I've no idea. Mercado. Mercado. Mercado thank you, of yes. course. Um, and then a central defensive partnership of Fotamendi yes. and Rojo. Uh, Emmanuel Mas at left back, Mascherano and Biglia in the, at the base of midfield, and then um, a front four of uh, the line of three. First of all, will be Lionel Messi, um, who you might have heard of on the right wing, Sergio Aguero in the middle, and Di Maria Messi. Oh, is Di Maria fit? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought Di Maria was um, was still injured, uh, and then Gonzalo Higuain up front. So Aguero playing sort of just off Higuain, really, in a front two almost. Um, the reason that that has brought or, or has the potential to bring some ire uh, from the Argentina fans is of course that Paolo Dybala should be taking that spot that Aguero is in um, but having come down here and having been tested out by the, by the, the, the coaches and the medical team um, it's been decided not to risk him I think he's going to be on the bench isn't he but he's not going to be risked from the start um, and of course if you're listening to this podcast, then we probably don't have to tell you um, why Sergio Aguero and Nadine Gonzalo Higuain are not two of the most favourite, most favourite, are not two of the favourite um, forwards for fans of the Argentine national team. Um, but leaving that aside a little bit and sort of trying to, to um, ignore the natural amount of annoyance that you will feel with them for, for previous uh, Sins, let's say, in, in dragging their team to three consecutive finals in, in two years. Um, do, do you think that Aguero is is a, a reasonable substitute for Dybala? I mean, and also bearing in mind that yes, know, on, on Sunday there were rumours that he might be calling up Fernando Gago to replace Paolo yes. Dybala, which would have been really interesting. But. Yes, um, yes, he. I think he's a good substitute for Dybala. But if Dybala were, were, was fit. Mm -hmm. I would, of course, include Dybala in, in, instead of Aguero. And there were people saying that even Banega who should have played yeah. because he will have some balance there in the midfield and he's, he can be like more like a, a offensive midfielder creating. And, and well, I remember uh, some, some weeks ago scoring three goals against Atalanta, mm -hmm. same goals that Icardi for 7-1 victory for Inter. Um, and I would also... I think this moment for for Icardi because it's. I was going to say yeah, you mentioned the elephant in the room. Yes, uh, because these are these is matches and you can't uh, expect 
another players to be injured for to for to call up someone like Icardi which of course you will say he's not playing in the offensive perhaps circuits and he's only a finisher uh, like he's a number nine that is in the in the box but like all he does is score goals <laughs> yes but he scores a lot of goals and I think that uh, I don't know I, I know that perhaps saying Iwain not to be in the starting lineup and including Cardi would mean would mean a message for for Iwain but I think that he he deserves a, a call up and now we are very very complicated in terms of the positions in the table of the qualifiers uh, but yes answering your question of uh, Dybala or Aguero mm. the problem is that Dybala is not very lucky when he has to play with the national team yeah he got sent off against Uruguay yes. um, in the match that I was at of course in Mendoza and I think that was his was that his first Argentina appearance it was yes. his first competitive one at least yes. I think it was his debut for the team full stop um, and he got sent yes it was because there were people who were comparing him with Messi afterwards because of course Messi got sent off on his debut for Argentina as well albeit in a friendly um and yeah, I mean, he, he was, and it was a slightly harsh red card for Dybala as well, it has to be said in that game. Um, but it is a shame that he's not going to get another go. Regarding Icardi, right, we've, we've actually had a, a question, so let's jump ahead slightly and, and read out one of our listeners' questions before we really get to that section in the podcast, because we have had a question about him. And it is from Lorzinho, who says, are there political reasons that Icardi isn't getting a look into the Argentine squad? The man scores so many goals. Um, it depends on how you define politics. <laughs> My opinion is that if you um, are a believer in identity politics, then yeah, you could define it as a political reason. I think it's down to misogyny, by and large. It, it, it's it's down to um, a, a certain group of people believing that Wanda Nara shouldn't be allowed to choose who she lived, spends her life with, <laughs> um, because the 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 reason that's widely rumoured, at least, to be the reason that Icardi keeps not getting called up. Um, is that Maxi Lopez uh, is very good friends with a number of key players for Argentina. Obviously, Maxi Lopez himself is nowhere near the squad and shouldn't be. Um, but some of you will already be aware that he is Wanda Nara's uh, ex-boyfriend. I don't think they were ever married, were they? Um, and that when him and Mauro Icardi were playing together at... Sampdoria, was it? Gen- yes. Yeah, Sampdoria, yeah. Um, Wanda Nara stopped going out with Maxi Lopez and started going out with Mauro Icardi. Um, Wanda has, has said uh, in interviews since then that this was her decision, that Maxi was an awful boyfriend and that one day at a party, uh, a squad party where everybody was there, Maxi went into the other room and she threw herself at Mauro Icardi and the rest is history. Um, but the way that this has been painted by a lot of people, particularly down here in Argentina, um, is that this was an example of Mauro Icardi stealing Maxi Lopez's girlfriend. Um, admittedly, Mauro Icardi um, acted a bit of a twat on Twitter afterwards, as did Wanda, both the sort of flouting photographs of, um, of uh, Maxi's son, uh, who we have with Wanda, in um, in Man Ricardi shirts and stuff, but um, yes, he, he's ultimately a, I, I think that he's it, a it's, it's really difficult for me to remain that angry at them when it is clearly a relationship that that, that is a serious relationship. First of all, and secondly, okay, I mean, yeah, you may or may not agree with how Wandanara earns her living or whatever, but why why shouldn't she be allowed to choose who she spends her life with? Why be forced to spend a life with Jesse yes. Lopez when he's demonstrably an awful boyfriend? There are a lot of people that uh, prohibited him 
like for example Maradona saying that he's betraying one mm. and and uh, and you can't uh, uh, well, Maradona went even further. Maradona said that Bowser was also a traitor for talking to Icardi, which is insane as well. But and if it were a problem between two players that are actually in the national team, like for example, Iguain going out with Antonella Racuzzo, the Messi's mm. girlfriend, I would understand that some, one of them yeah. shouldn't be called up I mean, anymore. It would, it, it would still. Well, I, I don't know about shouldn't. I, I, I would still be of the opinion that that's a bloody stupid thing to. Um, to exclude a player from but at the same time you can then realistically go yeah but regardless of whether this is a justified argument or not well yes they can't both they're not going to both be happy to play in the same team whereas in this occasion it's just a bunch of Maxi Lopez's friends going around and having this stupid idea that after he by her accounts was you know unfaithful to her with all sorts of people she shouldn't be allowed to end the relationship or start a relationship with somebody else who he happened to be a because, uh, well, colleague. I remember, uh, for example, between two former River Plate defenders that there was a similar thing, but it was... Uh, Is that Suti and somebody? Amelie and Tutsi. Oh, that's right. Some, yeah, same era. In which Amelie apparently went out, or well, uh, he went uh, spur, spur the night between uh, with uh, Eduardo Tutsi's uh, wife, mm-hmm. and that broke the, the dresser, the dresser rooms, the... And, and this would have been in about what two thousand and eight or nine. Because it, oh, you're right. Yeah, it was more recent. Because I, Leonardo Estrada was the coach, and he decided to uh, well, not to consider neither Tuzio nor Ameli anymore to be in the team because both are part of were part of the team. In this case, uh, Messi, Iwain, the the Maria. No, none of them were uh, with friends of Icardi or Maxi Lopez so I, I don't see why he can be called up but well it's something well Maxi Lopez supposedly gets on really well with Messi and with Sergio Romero or something as well and obviously they're, they're two of the key players to Argentina's well, dressing room um, anyway. dynamic but even so you just I mean just get over it and, and stop, uh, stop know, allowing that kind of view of, of we know whether have the power Bausa in a relationship is, to affect yes. a national team as well I mean. we know whether Bowser is, is lying or not because, because he said that he talked with the Guardian he said hold on that you will have your, your choice yeah he's said that several times now and yet he yes. continues to not call him up it, it's remarkable um, so yeah that, that, sorry I wanted to get that off my chest under. it's something I've been thinking about for, for some time now and it's not something that I feel I can um uh, or rather, I'm not sure how I would work it into an article. It would need to be an article just entirely about that one thing. Um, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to to offload a little bit. Okay. Just stop being misogynistic, basically, Argentine footballers, and start being a bit more um, considerate, and you're going to give yourself a better chance of qualifying for the World Cup, never mind winning it. Um, anyway, where were we? That's right, we were on the formation for tomorrow night yes. <laughs> uh, for the Chile game. Um, how confident do you feel? Hmm. I, I will. I, I of course uh, imagine myself tomorrow winning the match or Argentina winning the match, but I don't see it a, a, an easy match. Only because Argentina also is with a high pressure to win, mm-hmm. independently of the rival, which is Chile, which is tough and they know is they are not uh, uh, silly. They know how to play these matches too. So yeah. they will play with Argentina pressure. And well, uh, uh, I, I my hopes are higher because of that. Uh, I told you that well, Vidal won't be, be part of Chile formation, 
uh, and medal is there we don't we still don't know whether he will be playing so uh, I am confident but not so sure uh, it's like yes I think we will win and this is it indeed uh, I'm just trying to find whether we have an idea of um, how Chile are going to be lining up um, because it would have been a good idea to bring that up before we started this discussion really wouldn't it uh, let's see but yeah it, certainly there's a lot Oh. I think you have formations in when you in the Sorry. section of Argentina of selection that's where uh, I am. up in the yeah, yeah. That, that's what we're in at the moment. Okay. Um, ah, here we are. There. Good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to. I mean, I always look forward to Argentina matches because it's a chance to see some slightly better footballers than we get to see in the local league mm. uh, in the flesh, which is always nice. Um, according to Clarín, sorry, Ole which is really clarion as well. Uh, Chile are going to line up as probably Claudio Bravo in goal, and then Isla. Um, you've said Medel is fit, haven't you? No, there is a doubt. Okay, yes. either Rocco or Medel. Uh, Gonzalo Jara and Jean Bossejour across the back, and then Charles Arangis Silva, not sure what his first name is. Um, Mar- no, what? I don't remember. Um, Pablo Hernandez in midfield, uh, Juan Fuensalida. One? Is that right? Yeah. I should stop trying to guess people's first names. Cool. All I have is a, a first initial to go on, I've forgotten most of them. And then Alexis Sanchez and Eduardo Vargas up front, whose first names I do know. Um, there should be goals in it, you would think, even though it's Bowser's Argentina, who have been quite low scoring so far. Um, I've just, while we were discussing this bit, by the way, somebody posted up a stat on Twitter saying that in 29 matches, uh, for Argentina in Argentina Lionel Messi has scored 14 goals and provided 14 assists so at the very least we should see on average you would expect to see Lionel Messi contributing to a goal and Chile has never won has never won in Argentina no indeed although having said that before the current um, qualifying campaign Argentina had only ever lost twice at home in World Cup qualifiers and that's now happened twice more in this current uh, campaign Against uh, Venice, no, against um, Venezuela, Ecuador, and who were the others? Uh-huh. Sorry, who did, they, who did they lose at home to as well? Because I'm sure it's happened twice. Someone else? Oh, Brazil. Yes. No, Brazil. No, that, they, was, that was a draw, wasn't Um One of the others, anyway. They, they, they've, Paraguay. Lost, they've lost two home ones, I'm sure, in this current. Paraguay. Um, ah, you're right. Yeah, well done. Um, well, it's sort of goal. Yes. So you know, there's a first time for everything. Unfortunately, hopefully we don't see it tomorrow night. I say hopefully because I don't particularly want to go to a, a match that's going to be a home defeat, especially when it's the country I live in. But you never know. If Argentina do lose, then you know it, it's a situation that we have to entertain. Right? If they win by loads, um, and Ecuador and Uruguay, and particularly if Uruguay get thrashed, um, but if Ecuador and Uruguay both lose as well, um, Argentina could be second in the table. More likely if they win. And Ecuador and Uruguay lose. Argentina will be third level on points with Uruguay, but still behind on goal difference because Uruguay's goal difference is nine. No, it's it eleven? Sorry, better than than Argentina's. Um, and that would be lovely, and you know that would bring new enthusiasm um, into Argentina's hopes for for qualifying for the World Cup. But we have to entertain the possibility as well that they might not win because you know there are two teams going onto the pitch. It has been known that a team that you don't want to win wins, particularly when, when 
the team that you want to win is Argentina and the team they're playing is Chile and it's the last couple of years um, so what happens if they lose are they likely do you think to still hang on to fifth place I should go over the other fixtures actually um, before asking you that question Colombia have a home match against Bolivia just a reminder that Colombia are one point behind Argentina at the moment Uruguay play Brazil in a match that doesn't affect Argentina all that much really given that those are the top two teams and Argentina are scrabbling for fourth Venezuela hosts Peru in a match that also doesn't affect them that much uh, Paraguay are at home to Ecuador and Argentina are at home to Chile so if Argentina lose to Chile do they stay in the playoff spot or I, don't, I think that Colombia could of course you would uh, expect uh, Colombia to win at home to yes. Bolivia wouldn't you um, particularly given it's being played at half past three local time in I'm guessing uh, Barranquilla where it's going to be about 95% humidity um, yes it's important not only for Argentina to be in the third spot but because Colombia will for sure defeat Bolivia and they are one point behind uh, up uh, behind Argentina so uh, it's important for those two reasons indeed um, Paraguay Ecuador you would expect Ecuador. given the table you'd expect Ecuador to win but then Paraguay have but it, it rallied right, I slightly I think I'm right in saying in the last couple of rounds I see the Paraguay last time out oh, lost 1-0 but away to Bolivia after um, losing 4-1 at home to Peru so no I'm completely making that and they've not rallied at all that could very well be an Ecuador win even close to sea level um, and really that altogether with as I already mentioned the fact that Argentina's next game is away to Bolivia on Tuesday means that Thursday night becomes must win because away to Bolivia uh, in La Paz regardless of the strength of the teams is never easy this is a cliche it's something that we get I get questions about on Twitter every time it happens Argentina play away and somebody says oh but you know Bolivia is shit yeah but you might be underestimating if you think that just how hard it is to play at that altitude I mean I've not been to La Paz have you been to La Paz? no Joel has been to La Paz who I saw earlier at the AFA um, and he tells me that the first time that he went uh, after flying in he was literally struggling to walk upstairs in his hotel so when you think about flying in and then trying to play 90 minutes of football that's why so many teams have such a uh, how, how many times you have to be there before the match is played of course there are a lot of people saying that you have to go play the match and, and come back yeah. there, but there if are, you want to adapt yourself so there are two theories about the best way to adapt to altitude for, for sports people and one is as you say to fly in play before it, you have a chance to get mega altitude sickness and then get out again as soon as possible um, the other is if you're going to stay there and try to acclimatise you really have to be there for two or three days which obviously Argentina just about have the time to do as they normally do with these Thursday to Tuesday double headers um, but it's not easy and of course the best result that Argentina got or one of the most famous anyway in La Paz was when uh, in qualifying for the was it the 74 World Cup um, or was it 82 it was 74 wasn't it um, when they had a home game a few days before and the manager at the time was can't remember Ladislav Kapp maybe yes no. um, and he sent he had one team training for the, whichever match it was they were playing in Buenos Aires um, on the Friday and had a separate team training up in the north of Argentina which is also fairly high altitude completely separate team of consisting nearly all I think Mario Kempes was the only player in it so it might have been it wasn't 78 because they didn't have to qualify for 78 it might have been 82 I can't remember um, but anyway Mario Kempes or, or one of the players who I've heard of was the only player in the squad who ever represented Argentina again or had done before 
um, in this thing, and, and they were known as the Ghost Team. So they spent like a week or two weeks at high altitude, having been pulled out of their Argentine domestic club schedules um, early, training at high altitude, and they got a 1-0 win or a 1-1 draw or something like this. Um, they got a 3-3. This three, is the level of... Draw with, with, when Bielsa was the coach, or uh, also they won. They had a 3-3 quieter. With the, I remember a late soaring goal. I think when Bielsa was in, in charge. I'm going to Google Ghost Team Argentina Bolivia yes. to see to try and get this right. Uh, it was in oh, 1973. So yeah, it qualified oh. for the 74 World Cup. I was right. Look at that. Um, and what happened was the Ghost Team. Oh, look at that. They're all in Ku Klux Klan hats. Uh, that's a joke. They're, they're, they're dressed up to look like ghosts, but it does look like. Club uh, gathering um, and yeah Ricardo Boccini Mario Kempes and Marcelo Trobiani were three of the, the team um, who spent a while training in Hohoi province um, and yeah and the manager was please tell me it was Cap because I feel really smug for having remembered it properly ah, it doesn't say yeah. oh, but it must yeah, be because uh, yes Minuti was in charge of 1978 so yes Oh, and look at that. Aldo Poi was involved, the uh, famous Rosario Central yes. player. Um, and Ruben Aschala as well. <laughs> More than a couple that you've heard of before, but not many who played very many games. Uh, anyway, they're not going to be sending a ghost team to La Paz this time round, and that is what makes this such an intriguing game against Chile, because they've really got to win it. Because after that, it's Argentina-Bolivia, <laughs> Chile against Venezuela, which you would expect Chile to win. Peru against Uruguay, which you would expect Uruguay to win. Ecuador against Colombia, where some points might be dropped by... Well, some points are going to be dropped by direct rivals of Argentina. But if it's an Ecuador win, of course, Ecuador already above Argentina in the table anyway, so it matters less for Argentina. And Brazil against Paraguay. It's kind of a shame, from an Argentine point of view, that this Thursday, um, Uruguay-Brazil is is happening to be on and in a situation where it doesn't actually affect Argentina that much, because they're both way above them in the table and out of the positions because that's a fixture that I think it's like Brazil haven't beaten Uruguay in Montevideo since 1977 or something like this um, it yeah, because be really interesting. it's also particularly annoying that nearly all of tomorrow's games are on at the same time yes apart from that Chile and Colombia both probably will win mm. next round exactly yeah um, so tomorrow's matches are Colombia-Bolivia which is being played Argentine time at 5.30 in the afternoon and then all of the other games are either kicking off at 8 or 8.30 so if you're unlucky enough to be going to the stadium for Argentina-Chile um, I know you feel really sorry for me um, then you're going to be missing all of the other games which is a pity in a way as I said I'd particularly like to see Uruguay-Brazil um, but there we go we'll see and then for Bolivia optimistic what would be a, a no. draw? A draw is a good result away to Bolivia every yes, time. I mean, so. you know, I want to say, oh, what do you think would be a good result? But we know the answer. Yes, yes, of course. The, is, the way that Argentina is playing right now, uh, a draw will be highly a, a best result, or well, the result I think that they can get. Uh, and, and well, of course, after you win tomorrow against Chile, uh, they. That uh, draw will be even more inter- interesting. If you win, if you don't get a, a win tomorrow, then the of course the equation will be different. Yeah, then suddenly away yes. to Bolivia becomes a must-win, which is never a situation that any team wants mm-hmm. to be in. Um, but it's also it, it's interesting that Angel Di Maria 
who was said to be, or reported at least on the TV down here, as a doubt after PSG. So he must be there. Is being played from the start, apparently, yes. tomorrow um, against Chile, given that the last time Argentina played in La Paz, Di Maria was was one of the best players. He kept on running. I mean, he eventually had to be stretched off with an oxygen mask. Um, but he, he, he has that, you know, legendary third lung, which whatever else you think of him as a player... Um, yes, third lung, not a, a third leg. Because, exactly. But he's going yeah. to be an asset at that, um, at that altitude. Uh, and so it's interesting that they're not, you know, maybe saying, oh, no, we'll just send you on for the last half hour at home to Chile because we need to keep you in reserve for La Paz because you're one of the players who we know isn't going to have a problem at that altitude. Um, Mascherano, if I remember rightly, also um, did did okay the last time out in La Paz. But I mean, there are some players. Messi really struggled with it visibly with the altitude. I, I will um, I will say what I would do, uh, taking into account that Di Maria wasn't perfectly wasn't in in one hundred percent fit. Uh, I will include tomorrow. Of course, this is polemic, but I Acuna. Walter Acuña tomorrow and Di Maria. Is he in the squad? Yeah. He's in the squad. I don't think so. Ah. I will. I will uh, have called call him up and put him into the yeah. starting lineup against Chile, and preserve Angel Di Maria for Tuesday match against La against yeah. Bolivia in La Paz. Taking in the game that that he runs a lot and and that will be necessary uh, there against Bolivia. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we'll move on to the remaining listeners' questions now. Uh, obviously, we've already asked uh, Lozinos. Um, so the first one is from... Oh, no, sorry, that's not a question. That's uh, predictions for afterwards. Um, the first one, then, is from Arsenal Fanatic, who says, full schedule in an international week. Indeed, there is. As we mentioned earlier, um, basically, the fact that um, the delay happened over the summer in restarting the season sorry I was trying to find a nice way of going back into the rest of that sentence there I didn't manage to find it so I just end up sounding like somebody who can't speak English uh, the the delay over the summer means um, that the AFA are now in a bit of a rush to get the rest of the season completed uh, means that we are having to have a full schedule of matches over the international break I suspect as I said earlier that there are going to be one or two rounds played in midweek as well at some point um but yeah, the teams were given an option to have their match postponed if they had players called up for international duty. Uh, some of the teams who have had players called up for international duty in Argentina include, not just of course for the Argentine national team, but across uh, South America, um, include, uh, well basically all of the big five, so River, Boca, San Lorenzo, Racing Independiente, I think they've all had players called up, haven't they? Yes, Independiente. Not, not in for fact, Argentina, yes. but um, and Independiente are the only team who have requested um, a postponement for their match as a result of it. So that's uh, good solidarity from Independiente. They're playing for through like everybody else. Um, but yeah, that's the reason that 14 matches will be played this weekend, basically. Uh, Lozinho's question we've already asked. Carlos Palacios um, says, any idea on who will get the television rights for the US next season? To which the answer is no. Um, Partly because it's not really been very clearly reported by anybody. I suspect because it's not been clearly stated by the AFA whether the recent round um, of TV negotiations included international rights. Have you no. managed to pick anything up? Um, I would assume that they were only for the domestic rights. But then uh, right the now, price was surprisingly high, so maybe they include international rights as well. Maybe Fox and Turner have 
yes. uh, rights for the whole of the Americas at least or something. At the moment, it's, it's done by Teresa. Yes, but, but I don't know when that's. But right now, for go. example, if you are in the United States and want to watch the Argentina Argentina national teams national team matches, uh, it's Teresa, the channel that broadcasts those matches, right? Teresa International, and um, there might be one or two others because the the. the The rights are owned by this company, Teresa, which is uh, 50% Clarine and 50% Torneos, which is the production company, which itself is owned by 40% Clarine and 60% somebody else or something like that. I can't remember. Um, I'm just very quickly Googling to see, and I can't find anything about when Teresa owned the international rights until. So, I mean, what I would do if I was the AFA would be to sell the domestic rights for as much money as you can, which they've managed to do. I mean, they could have got a little bit more by going with the SPN or Media Pro, but this way they don't have to spend loads of money on a court case as well. So, yeah, it's not really legal, but fair enough. Um, and then to also look into international rights and possibly to talk to the people I've just sold the domestic rights to because they know what the business is, um, or possibly talk to other people as well. I mean, ESPN are known not to want to... Um, be entirely out of the negotiations and in fact in fact even now there are some still rumors that ESPN might end up doing a deal with Fox to televise a couple of the games per weekend domestically um, that's why they didn't do anything with the uh, the letter that uh, Fox and Turner sent yeah Alpha. announcing this cancellation yes. of the court date yes um, and similarly media pro you know uh, they're a Spanish group they have a lot of experience in selling international rights they're, they're the, the company who own the international rights for um for La Liga and I think also for Ligue 1 in France and possibly for Serie A um, you know they, they'd be if, if they're willing to still talk to AFA which by all appearances to all appearances they are um, they'd be good people for AFA to talk to if AFA want to try and, and improve the value of their product I do think that they're going to get a better price for international rights when they get the Primera down to a more sensible size In Argentina, you've got a very large audience who are going to watch the Primera, even if it's got 45 teams in it and all sorts of ridiculous structures. Internationally, a proper league with 20, uh, push 22 teams and you know everybody playing everybody else home and away. Long term, it's going to be easier to sell, I think. Um, so the short answer is, uh, well, so the one word answer to Carlos' question, any idea on who's got the rights for next season, is no. Um because we don't even know whether they're up for bidding for next season because we don't know when the current contract runs until um, that's not a very good answer but it's the only one we've got so sorry um, Juez or possibly Juez says is it confirmed that there will be league play this weekend the answer to that one is yes what team will be most affected if it is played so who've had the most call ups Boca maybe yeah, yeah I'm trying to think of, of sort of Teams who've got a significant number of players missing. I think they've, they've all had one or two taken out, I would assume. Um, River has Arturo Mina, and well, he's not, uh, he was not playing in the starting of the matches, but uh, yeah. Arturo Mina and, and Jose, no, um, sorry, uh, Moreira, Jorge Moreira, who, well, yesterday there was Machada replacing him. So yeah, I mean, yeah. From, so from that point of view, you would think that River, will, yes. you know, for instance, they've they've got replacements for the people. I mean, Independiente they clearly feel that they would be the most um, affected by having their first choice goalkeeper away with Uruguay, um, and that's why they've asked to to be well, well, as we said at the start of the show, 
their substitute goalkeeper feels it's not the real reason. Um, but he, as I said, he would say that um, it's why Independiente have asked on the face of it at least to not um, to not play. Um, other than that, players who have been called up for international duty. No, it's going to be one or two per club at most. Yes. I, I would think maybe. Think about it. yeah, maybe Lanús, maybe Boca because they've got some foreigners in the team well, and they might be. Basically, uh, if there were have been a lot of collapse from the national stage, well, a lot of teams would have been asked, would have asked to for their team for their matches to be postponed. Exactly. So if if there wasn't any postponed matches, except for Independiente's one, that means that there weren't any. But the suggestion would be that all of the clubs feel that yes. they can deal with it in the circumstances. Um, or maybe it's just that all of the, the bigger, in inverted commas, teams um, feel that they've got winnable matches with or without their full-time, full-strength squads. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the basic answer to that one. And Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Much needed win for River last night. Piti Martinez was excellent and deserved his goal. Best game in a River shirt. It's up there. I don't know whether best outright. But One of the best matches yeah. in the late, late uh, the last times in terms of the uh, low in, in first division, the Argentina uh, tournament because of uh, it has been say, said that River has a like a cup team. It's like a team yeah. that plays better or it feels more comfortable comfortable playing uh, international tournaments than mm. the local tournament. Uh, the, the thing, right? So the reports, and I, I read a couple of things today, interviews with Gasharado and things saying uh, the international tour. They won the Copa Argentina, so it would appear that they're just more into knockout competitions, really, when they're international or domestic. But the the shape of the the way that it is played is more uh, similar to the international I think ones is, because of exactly. the knockout. Uh, no, and, and so I think that, that, that there's something in that, which is that when it's a really big game, because the the same thing has happened with Gasharado's team. Um, in in really important league games as well. Obviously, the one exception being that um, that match against Racing in 2014, when they essentially gave up the league to focus on the Sudamericana semi-final with Boca, uh, which fell either side of, of that game uh, by playing a reserve side. But apart from that, in, even in the, the really big league games, Gachado's River have, have a record of maybe not always winning, but at least not losing. And so I think what they really are is is a big game performers. Um, who find it rather harder to, to get themselves up for games like, say, to pluck an example out of thin air, which I'm not taking from last weekend at all, Union de Santa Fe at home, where yes. for some reason they find it more difficult to perform to their potential. Um, and yeah, I think, as you say, Martinez uh, has epitomised that for, for, for a lot. Of it's time. like... Oh, like Perhaps any other team, of course, there are a lot of teams that play better when the, the other team, the rival, uh, have a more generous play uh, proposal. That they are trying to look for the rival's goal and not to be on their side and, mm-hmm. and being like with their 10 men uh, trying to defend. Of course, all of the teams play better when they are the other uh, team gets, gets outside, but... Uh, for River is especially important this because they must have spaces. Yeah. They don't play bad, uh, in a good way when when they have uh, short spaces. And well, uh, yes, last night it was this was uh, seen because uh, even with luck and with the goals with Southside and the other that deflected the 
free kick by Pity Martinez reflected in the uh, players of Lanús. Mm. Uh, they played better because Lanús was uh, also a team that uh, was senior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Liam also says, also great to see away fans. Is this the start of them returning? Uh, to which the answer is yes and then maybe no because there were some problems last night at Lanús v River. Um, and Racing Lanús too. Yes, that's right. So on the first weekend of the year, the 15th round, a week and a half ago, uh, Racing Lanús, uh, Racing afterwards were, were saying that there had been some issues. Although I did read a couple of tweets suggesting that the police had just left the area entirely and allowed the two gangs to go at it um, after that game. But Racing have said that they don't want any away, t- away fans in their stadium from now on because the cost of policing is too high and the uh, obviously cost of local businesses and, and local um, well, neighbours, who people who live in the, in the area. Um, is, is too high if their stuff will get smashed up um, the problems at Lanús River on Tuesday night were there was reported at least or around 15 River fans tried to get in with fake tickets um, more than that a significant number is what I read uh, tried to get in without any tickets at all um, not even fakes and there was one thing that I saw from Politica and River who are one of the very good non-official um Twitter um, accounts for River, uh, which said that there were 10,800 tickets on sale for River fans at Lanús last night. They were put on sale online, and 10,800 of them got bought by the Barra. So everybody who was there, that's not to say that everybody who was there last night was part of the Barra. Uh, Obviously the vast majority weren't, but they were all people who had had to get their tickets from the Barra if that statement is correct, which is a big if. Um, I, I reiterate that this is a, they're a very good uh, Twitter account, and um, by and large I trust them. That number does sound somewhat extreme, and, and that's yes. why I'm saying that uh, I'd be kind of surprised if it's correct, but at the same time, I don't think, they don't seem like the kind of account that would throw that number out if they didn't have some kind of source for it. Um, so whether it's the start of them returning or not, I mean, there are now a few more sort of voices saying oh you know maybe it's up in the air again um Banfield have said that they want uh, away fans to be allowed in um they they benefit significantly from the extra money it brings Lanús are similar some of the the clubs particularly in sort of Grand Buenos Aires um in the province but outside the city of Buenos Aires um are going to be happy to do it Racing are not for instance in in Capital Federal in the city of Buenos Aires which is where um, River, Boca, San Lorenzo, Huracan, Vélez are based. It's, it's a different situation again because you have a different security force to deal with. So it's, it's little by little and it's going to come in dribs and draps. Um, but yes, it is the start of them returning. Whether they're ever going to be back you know, in the foreseeable future um, in the same kind of numbers and, and as regularly as, as we were used to seeing them prior to 2013... Um, in the Primera and 2012 in the lower divisions is another matter but it is good to see away fans back um, and hopefully there will be plenty more of them in the future I was in fact when I was at Lanús versus Nacional two weeks ago in the Libertadores uh, one of the nicest things about that was um, the fact that the Nacional fans were there and then obviously one of the worst things about it was the fact that we had to wait an hour for them after the state before we were allowed to leave the stadium um, Liam also says and I thank him very much for reminding me of this one that the UK will be four hours back he says behind, but he means ahead of Argentina uh, from Sunday onwards. So, yeah, remember that if you're looking at kickoff times on Argentine websites. Andres, yes. you look like you wanted to say something. Uh, no, the problem in Argentina is that 
now it's not only Barras mm. because Barras of course are the worst thing that Argentina has in terms of the uh, football environment but uh, today any any supporter that is a bit crazy can make anything for the matches to be suspended or or, yeah. or get into the uh, up from the uh, to the alambrado the well the tribune the the, yeah. yes and and or throw throw something to the rival or or well a, a can full of beer or well whatever false teeth yes <laughs> and the road manager that's happened with Argentinos a while ago so that's the main problem in which teams are not sure to allow uh, away away supporters and for the big teams or the big clubs it's even a, a, a loss of money because mm. uh, River Boca they can allow they can fill their stadiums with only with local with home yeah. uh, supporters so it's difficult indeed it is um, we're going to play some more music now It's this is Mystic uh, Dez's theme music because I've got somebody who's not me to predict this coming weekend um, and afterwards you will hear Mystic Dez's predictions so don't go away Okay, Mystic Dez's predictions are as follows. He is going for Newell's Old Boys to beat Patronato in Paraná um, on Friday night. Banfield against Union is going to be a Banfield win. Rosario Central against Tigre is a draw. San Lorenzo will beat Quilmes at home and Gimnasia y Grima La Plata will beat Sarmiento also at home. Uh... Racing to get a home win over Godoy Cruz. It's an interesting one. Uh, Estudiantes to beat Atletico de Rafaela in Rafaela. On Sunday, Colón Lanús to be a draw. Boca to get an away win over San Martín. Temperley to draw with Atletico Tucumán. River to beat Belgrano in the match that uh, NFL Para Todos Twitter account calls the Morbo Bowl. Uh, the um, the big grudge match, of course, because Belgrano were the team who relegated the river. Aldo Sibi to get a home win over Arsenal de Sarandi. Vélez Sarsfield versus Orakan will be a draw. And Tacheres will beat Olimpo. We will remind you one more time that Defensa Justicia versus Independiente is postponed for the foreseeable future. Um, any of those catch your eye in particular, Andres? Sorry, what was Vélez Orakan? Vélez Orakan has gone for a draw. Which ah, okay. sounds okay to me. I mean, they're both fairly um, ordinary teams. As I said, the one I was most interested in harassing to beat Godoy Cruz after Godoy Cruz's display against San Lorenzo the other day. Apologies for the dickhead on the motorbike down there, who you can all hear in the background. Um, but yeah, the other, otherwise I think that's a fair, more or less. by and large. Central Tigre would have seemed interesting this time last year, but now Central maybe aren't doing what they, what they were once doing. Um... And yeah, it's going to be interesting, particularly, of course, to see um, how Boca respond to the defeat against Tacheres, whether they can indeed get an away win against San Martín, who have not always been easy to visit. It will be season. key whether San Martín San Juan gets their old old version, the uh, 2016 version, in which they almost won, they won almost all, all of the yeah. matches played there, or if they continue with their uh, awful performance that they showed the last last weekend yeah indeed um, 
also worth noting that at least the top three off the top of my head, so Bocca Newells and San Lorenzo, he's got them all down as winning, um, which will uh, obviously not change anything at all at the top of the table. Um, he's also got Estudiantes and Banfield and River all winning, so the top six would remain exactly as they are in terms of points, um, apart if those results went as followed, as, as uh, Des thinks. A quick rundown again then of the championship table as it stands at the moment with 16 games out of 30 played. Boca Juniors are top with 34 points. Newell's Old Boys and San Lorenzo both have 31. Estudiantes have 30 and 4th. Banfield on 27. River Plate and Lanús both have 26. River are just ahead of goal difference following that win on Tuesday night over Lanús. And Racing and Gimnasia La Plata both have 24. That's the top 9. Colón have 24 as well. Oh, okay, that's very neat then. That's the top 10. Um, Colón also with 24. And in the relegation table, where the bottom four teams will be relegated, those four teams, as it stands at the moment, are Atlético de Rafaela, the only team in the Primera with fewer than one point per game since the start of the 2014 um, Transitional Championship. And then Tempele, Sarmiento and Olimpo complete the relegation zone. Just above them, really just above them, um, more than capable of dropping into it this coming weekend. Uh, Arsenal... Quilmes and Huracan and then dangling just above that battle are Veles and Aldo Sibi both of whom could also get dragged down um, we'll see what happens it, it's going to be an interesting weekend particularly given that you would think that maybe even though it's only one or two call-ups per team at most some of those call-ups might end up evening out some of these matches a bit more than, than might normally happen um, it's going to be an interesting one even though it falls annoyingly on the international break which would normally be a weekend off there we go. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, for now, it is. Thank you very much for listening for another week. Enjoy Argentina-Chile and Bolivia-Argentina, as well as any other matches you'll be watching during the break. Um, and goodbye from Andres. Goodbye, thank you. And from me, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>